How's it going, everybody? This is Ryan Doze. You are listening to Across the Bifrost. This is the Mighty Thor podcast, where every week I talk about my favorite Marvel hero, the Mighty Thor, and all of his world. Today is a great episode for you to be tuning in because we are talking with author Douglas Wolk, who quite literally read all of the Marvels. He read so many comic books that he wrote a book himself called All of the Marvels. And we talk about a chapter in his book entitled Thunder and Lies. You may think that looks familiar because it's the title of this episode. Yes, we talk about that whole chapter because it is about Thor and Loki and their history and uh, just so much of their dynamic and everything that went into them as characters through the years. So... You are in store for a great time talking about Thor, talking about Loki, talking about all the things that we love because this is a Thor podcast. So you want to listen about, you want to listen to us talk about Thor. Great episode for you to be tuning in. If you are a new fan to Thor and his world, this is going to be a good episode because Douglas does an overview of Thor and his history. So you'll get a lot of bang for your buck and... For you who are longtime fans, he goes down a few different rabbit holes that are just insightful, talks about a few different authors and what they brought to the characters. So I know you are going to enjoy it. He's a delightful person to talk to, and we have a good time in this chat. So I will not delay us any further. This is my conversation with author of all the Marvels, Douglas Wolk. It's my privilege to welcome Douglas Wolk to Across the Bifrost. Hello, sir. Hi. Thank you so much. Good to be here. I on the uh, other side of the Bifrost. <laughs> yes. I uh, I just wanted just to maybe inter- introduce yourself to uh, my audience here and uh, tell them the the tremendous thing you have done uh, when it comes to comics. <laughs> the tremendous thing. Okay. Uh, so. I've been writing about comics and pop music for about 30 years now. Uh, The reason I'm here right now is that my new book is called All of the Marvels, A Journey to the Ends of the Biggest Story Ever Told. Came out from Penguin in uh, mid-October. It is a book about reading all 27,000 Marvel superhero comics since 1961 as one big story, as a single continuous, more or less consistent narrative that's been going on for 60 years now and well over half a million pages and looking at what it looks like as a story and the way it reflects the last 60 years of the culture that made it and the culture that it was born into. So that's the short version. And otherwise, you know, I live in Portland, Oregon. I've written a couple things about comics before. I wrote a book called Reading Comics that won an Eisner back in 2008. Uh, I wrote a book about a performance that James Brown gave in Harlem during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I wrote a uh, Judge Dredd Dredd miniseries back about seven years ago that was one of the most fun things I've ever gotten to do, and I hope I get to do some more comics writing at some point. So, and uh, I teach comics history at Portland State University, so that's, that's the mini bio. I brought you on the show today because I like like I told you my my show specializes in exploring the world of Marvel's Mighty Thor. Yeah, and I, I wanted uh, I de- I devoted this entire uh, enterprise to digging into his history and his world and 
when I had started to listen to you and the guys from Marvel by the month talk, I was like, oh my goodness, I have to, I have to see if he would grace my show with his presence. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even talked to De Brian and Rob, the guys from, oh, well. from Marvel by a month. And they were like, they've been on my show actually. Fantastic, um, yeah. the, um, but they came on and talked absorbing man with me. So oh, uh, when, when I heard your name come so many times, I'm like, okay, who would know more? Um, to, to borrow the Simonism, Simonsonism. Who would you know more? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who would know the most? Um, so I just wanted to just start off our conversation with you have an entire chapter in all of the Marvels, which uh, those of you uh, you know who have not read the book, go read the book. It it talks about so many different aspects of Douglas's journey through all of the Marvels. But there's a specific chapter, chapter 12, is completely devoted to Thor and it, and, and Loki. There's a big aspect of Loki in there, and it's entitled Thunder and Lies. So why did Thor and Loki get their own chapter in the book? Uh, that is a good question. So I wrote a lot more for the book than ended up going into the final book. Okay. There are a bunch of chapters that... I ended up not finishing there are a bunch of chapters I ended up taking out altogether, but I knew from the beginning that I wanted to get that like a Thor and Loki story in there, partly because like I absolutely love the Kieran Gillen journey into mystery and partly because I like, I've always loved the Walt Simonson Thor and it, it seemed like a way to connect the 60s to the 80s to the 2010s okay uh, and can be be a historical through line that wouldn't be all jumping around but would be mostly on a few particular periods and i like i like the idea that thor and loki kind of balance each other out like they they uh thor always is carrying more of the story but loki is there and ends up like in the last 10 years or so like doing an awful lot of the narrative work yeah and like and loki tv show is great i mean the loki tv show was after i'd written the whole thing but, yeah, yeah uh, of course uh, but you know everybody everybody loves tom hilston um it's amazing it's and really just sort of fixating on that kieran gillen loki story and then the al ewing stuff which i really wave the flag for i mean the, the epigraph oh for the book is from one of the al ewing stories um and that was also a way of talking about mythology, which Marvel Comics is not. Uh, a lot of people have been saying, you know, is this modern mythology? And like, no, um, it's not. Like, it uses this stuff from mythology. But the big difference is that it is a body of work where we know the names of just about everybody who's worked on it. It is not world tradition. It is, these are the names of the people who made these things. And it's also something that has not had the kind of distance that mythology has where, you know, the outlying stuff gets sanded off. Uh, It's like, it's all there. The body of it is all there and we have to deal with all of it. And that's super interesting to me. So, uh, and also, you know, that that stuff is awesome. I, I, was buying the Simonson Thor when it came out from the beginning and was like, this is great. Like oh every month, just knocking it out of the park. 
And, and you actually, you spend a lot, I mean, obviously you know this, but listeners, uh, Douglas spends a lot of time in the Thor chapter breaking down significant issues of Walt Simonson's, uh, dare, I, dare I say, legendary uh, quintessential Thor. And that was actually well, one of the things that I, I, as I was reading your chapter and as I've started my own journey into mystery, I'm probably about... 35 issues in from the beginning so I've got you know hundreds of things to go but uh what was getting up to Simonson's Thor you start in Journey into Mystery 83 getting all the way up to Simonson that evolution of the character from because if you look at Journey into Mystery 83 there's very few things from that yeah, no. <laughs> that is not the Thor that you know that's not Chris Hemsworth's Thor in the movies but what about that evolution all the way up to Simonson then I would just love for us to dig into Simonson's uh you know quintessential run yeah I mean, the, the evolution of Thor is it is odd because Thor starts off like the first couple first year or two is not that great like it's really there are bits there like you can see what Kirby is interested in, what Lee is interested in. But there's a bunch of other people who are writing stories and drawing stories. Like Joe Sinat, who is an amazing inker and is just kind of out of his depth doing like big action pieces. Yeah, Thor, Thor early on like, takes a while to find its feet. Like, is this superhero feature? Uh, then Tales of Asgard starts up, and Kirby is so obviously so much more into Tales of Asgard than he is yes. <laughs> into, like, the Thor stuff that pretty quickly the main feature kind of takes on that vibe too. And then it kind of takes off and it doesn't quite have the same sort of batting it out of the park world building that Fantastic Four does, which is interesting because it's, it's like the same people doing it. And yeah. Thor was the one title besides Fantastic Four that Kirby stuck with right up till the end of his tenure at Marvel. And but you know, he's doing stuff. He's enjoying it. There's some, there's some cool things that are introduced there, but there's still like, it's, it doesn't fully catch fire most of the time. Sometimes there's some really good stuff. Um, yeah. And then they leave and Lee does some real interesting stuff. Like Neil Adams is there for a few issues. John B. Sema does some beautiful stuff. Then Jerry Conway comes in. Jerry Conway at the time when he started writing Thor and Spider-Man actually was 19 years old. Yes. Like he was an actual teenager being handed the keys to Spider-Man and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he has a real grasp on Spider-Man for Thor. He and most of the people after him, there's just this sense that they're protecting the way it is just in case Stan and Jack come back someday. <laughs> They're babysitting it for They're a while. babysitting it. They're, you know, don't mess with it. Don't break it. The illusion of change. Like, pretend yeah. you're changing, but don't really change. And you know, Simonson actually draws some stuff for a while. And it's, n like, it's fine. It is nowhere near like what he did later on, left to his own devices. Yes. And this could, you know, Roy Thomas does, Roy Thomas does his Roy Thomas thing. And, you know, tries to connect Thor up with the ring cycle and you know with the Eternals and there's a bunch of other myth mythological stuff thrown in there. Yeah. Doug Mensch, whose stuff I love, is writing Thor for a while and he's just out of his depth. Like it because he's a Shang-Chi writer uh yeah. predominantly. He was, 
yeah, he was the Shang-Chi writer. He was writing Moon Knight. Uh, he wrote a bunch of other stuff. He wrote some Werewolf by Night. He wrote, uh, he wrote most of the, uh, I want to say he did the uh, Shogun Warriors series. Like, he was fast. Like, Doug Manch was a real kind of utility infielder for a while. Um, but, like, where his heart really, really was, was Master of Kung Fu. Um, and then, suddenly, 1983, Simonson shows up again, and there's Beta Ray Bill on the first cover, smashing the logo that has been there for, you know, 15 years. Iconic. It's an Brilliant. iconic cover. Um, it's, like, it didn't, like, you can't really say something is iconic the month it comes out, but it really, really felt like, this is something different. This is really cool. Yes. And it's beautiful, like beautiful looking, smart. Simonson had been prepping for that for years. Like he had drawn an initial version of that story in college just for fun. And it's got so much style to it. I think he was sharing a studio at the time with, I want to say Howard Chaikin, because that was around the time of American Flag. Um maybe frank miller too i'm not sure but like a bunch of heavy hitters were yeah. all like in the same building all like showing each other their pages and it's great when stuff like that happens so you actually um uh talking about frank miller there for a second um just like one thing i noticed as uh, i was going through your book was that um the 80s contains a lot of authors and creators who stayed with titles for a long time, like, you know, the names that jumped out to me were, you know, Simonson, mm -hmm. Frank Miller with Daredevil, and then, um, of course, Chris Claremont with yeah. X-Men. So yeah. when I, I just a Simonson question here, when he comes onto that book, um, he clearly has so much mapped out. Um, and that was so totally different than the Thor book, books that were being produced. Like, that sudden shift in how stories were being told in Thor, why do you think that really like caught on, um, you know, and made him a legend with the character? I'm so, okay, there's a couple, couple embedded questions there. Yeah, um, yeah. Why did Simonson catch on so fast? Because it's really good. Like, <laughs> like, it is exciting. It has style. It is not quite like anything else. It is very, very faithful to everything that's come before it. There's nobody who's like, oh, now Simonson's doing this. I can't read Thor anymore. <laughs> uh, really, like, imagine, like, that was not a reaction that we saw. Um, it was, like, this looks great. And it's clearly, like, it's got thought behind it. It's got style behind it he was far enough ahead i think he was working far enough ahead that stuff could happen like the casket of ancient winter story where all of a sudden like during that story it starts snowing in peter parker the spectacular spider-man and kitty pride and wolverine and rom and all these comics that yeah 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 because you know it had been determined sometime before like this is a thing that's going to be happening in thor if you guys want to have some consequences for that go for it working ahead uh, and like, it was, it was beautiful. It was interesting. Now, as for the question of why there started to be creators hanging out on titles for a long time around that time. Yeah. Um, the answer, as far as I can tell is that around 1981, Jim Shooter instituted the incentive program. Okay. So, uh, the, you couldn't call them royalties, but there were incentive payments. If your comic sold over a hundred thousand copies, 
you would get uh, initially like 4% of cover price would be divided between like the writers and the artists of that comic. Okay. And you could drive up the circulation by hanging out for a while and giving something a look and feel. Okay. And so there was there was an incentive to stick around. There was an incentive to sell a lot of copies. Started at four percent. If you sold over two hundred thousand copies, then it was five percent, up to like eight percent if it sold over a certain level. Um, and that could mean at a certain level you got a really big payday. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Like if uh, you know the biggest example being like nineteen ninety one's X Men number one, where you know so I think half the copies sold of that were at three ninety five price point. The others were you know a buck ninety five or a buck seventy five, but you add that up times seven point one million copies, like you still like if it's eight percent of that, that's still a big old chunk of change that Chris Claremont, oh, Jim Lee, and Scott Williams are taking home. But yeah. In the eighties, like this was the thing that suddenly like there was a reason to kick some ass to do something that people would buy and keep buying and keep buying month after month. So that that is my guess about how that happened. With, um, with Simonson's run on Thor, I mean, uh, that, you know, is is it's 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 quintessential if you're going to pick up a thor book you're you're probably not going to go wrong when you pick up a, a simonson volume yeah. but you know there's so many awesome beats in that and you know, of course one of them is the surter saga and you know the the big climactic battle uh between you know the the you know surter and muspelheim and all of his minions against the forces of asgard um when you had already read these before what you like you said you were you were buying them as they were coming out yeah. when you revisited them for all of the marvels like did did these simonson stories hit differently as you're looking at them from you know from this vantage point or were you still that kid you know that was like oh my gosh simonson's they, thor they, they did hit they did hit a little bit differently um okay. they seem much talkier now like okay. there, there's uh, there's a lot of like big expository dialogue. Um, there's like big concepts and really like the reading it now, like I was just feasting my eyes, like the art is so gorgeous and it's so, so much from somebody who is both writing and drawing the story, doing stuff that you can't get away with if there are two different people doing that yeah that's cool that's super cool um it is pretty much of its time uh there's a couple places where it's kind of you know pacing out marking time like like oh i have to wait a month or two before i can like do this cool thing i want to do uh but like it's fun it's inventive it's really great to look at and just in terms of like all the conceptual stuff there the deep connection to Norse mythology in a way that's not like, okay, can you tell which Eddas I've read? Can you tell? <laughs> can you tell uh, which Eddas I've read? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just, just uh, this, this was clearly like a huge passion project for him. And when he was done with it, he was done. Like, yeah, I've told my story and I'm gone. Great. There's one issue. Uh, my it's, Oh my gosh, I can't even get into this now. But you know, of top five Thor issues, yeah. uh, the uh, the issue of him against Jormungand, of yeah. just complete full pages. Yep, I, yep. 
there's there's people who have probably read one or two Thor issues in their life, and that's probably one of them. Yeah, um, totally. It is a beautiful book. It's just it's it's awesome, and that issue kind of sticks out because it's how it's aesthetically approached. Um, as you're reading through just thousands of comics, which Thor issues? like stood out to you like if someone you know said you know uh, <laughs> douglas what you know which thor issue comes to comes to mind when you think of thor like for me it's it's that issue of simonson for you like what is that issue of thor that just jumps out at you and stands out above the rest i really think exploring this stuff is much more about like getting into the flow of it and looking at the connective tissue and not like this is a great moment like no this is this is a great run this is a fantastic you know close to 50 issue store or you know yeah. a little more if you count balder um there are lovely moments in it uh but i don't, I don't want to pick out just one issue i just okay. like uh the uh there, there's a few of them that, that i get into in the book like because they are they're trailheads but they're yeah. not necessarily even the best they're just like this this is a place to go in this is a place to to look at to connect to other places well, so, and, question dodged <laughs> touche uh the uh will you even say in the first chapter of the book you know the in the mountain of marbles you know the, <laughs> the goal is to is to get lost yeah. like to yeah. find your own path and uh you know uh i love the i loved the analogy of you know going in you know going onto trailheads and getting lost and being like oh i read six issues of this and then i yeah whatever yeah. and i came back um speaking of uh, a period of thor's history that people might get lost in or avoid um the uh the period after simonson leaves what was your impression of that of that period and i I really do like that uh, Thor disassembled story, like that that Michael Avon Wing story itself. Like it's it's a mess. It is smashing everything about Thor. But you know, bring it on, smash everything about Thor. See yeah. what you know. That's that's what hammers are for. You know, um, <laughs> Michael Avon Wing also wrote uh, that miniseries Blood Oath, which I absolutely love. Like okay. it's so good and it's so much fun and it's so like. It is a a mythological romp that goes through a bunch of different systems of mythology very, very smoothly. Uh, also, there is a sword or two there that later shows up in X of Swords. Uh, a fantastic storyline. A fantastic story. Uh, I like that. There, there are periods where, like in that kind of period between like Simonson leaving in the late 80s and... 2010 or so like Thor takes a couple long breaks during that period because nobody yeah. was sure what to do with him there's that long Tom DeFalco Ron Friends period and they're doing a real solid Lee Kirby impression like whatever DeFalco and Friends did together that was their thing they did a real solid Lee and Kirby impression but they were not really pushing forward the aesthetic I mean, there's the there's the Eric Masterson. There's the whole Thunderstrike thing, which yeah. is their thing too, which like it is new, but it also gets away from the cool stuff about Thor, which is there is this rich, rich mythological body of work that you can get into and you can bring it into the world and have an overlap with the world or you can go explore it on its own 
yeah. for a while. Like it's not completely like superhero on earth. Like Donald Blake was always the least interesting part of Thor. Like the the uh, his Amen. interactions with other people were were pretty interesting and became more so. And like all the Jane Foster stuff later on, like, like plays on that. Like here is yeah. here are the people who have been in the background. They get to be in the foreground now. Um, and then there's also like the period where it's just more or less a straightforward superhero book. And there, if I'm reading a Thor comic and it could just as well be an Iron Man comic, if you change, change some of the costumes, like that's not a good Thor comic. So you weren't, you weren't an overwhelming fan of, of crop top, long blonde hair Thor towards the end. (laughs) I mean, people are trying Warren Ellis tried real hard. Uh, Warren Ellis has reinvented a bunch of comics in real interesting ways. Thor was not one of them. He tried. Yeah, he tried. Yeah, uh, yeah but, I mean, because the thing is, after Simonson, you can't do Sim- Nobody can do Simonson. Yeah, yeah. And nobody even tries to do fake Simonson, to their credit, because you can't. Uh, you could do kind of fake Lee Kirby, but... And that's that's just kind of waiting for people to come back who by now we know are never ever going to come back. Yeah. Um, and then you can do like, Matt Fraction is trying like Matt Fraction writing Thor. I thought yeah. was a real interesting idea um, because that is so far out of Matt Fraction's usual wheelhouse. And he's such a good writer and he's so interested in making whatever he does work. And he makes it work in some kind of unlikely context. Like I would not have necessarily thought of him as an X-Men person and he did fantastic job on X-Men. His Iron Man is like my favorite Iron Man, pretty much. His Hawkeye is spectacularly good. Yes. Thor is him trying to do, like trying to stretch. And he's trying to stretch and he kind of stretches. And then Kieran Gillen comes in and Kieran Gillen is very, very interested in fantasy and play. Like, I don't know if you've, if you've read Die. I have not. Uh, oh, okay. So Die is his series that he did with Stephanie Hans, who drew like his last issue of Journey into Mystery and a bunch okay. of other things. Uh, it is an RPG uh, comic. Ooh. It is about a bunch of kids who get together and like for one of their birthdays, uh, their DM has come up with a very special game and they get Jumanji'd into it and disappear for two years. And when they come back, um, one of them is missing. One of them has lost an arm. And if anybody oh. asks them like, what happened to you? They just say, I can't say. Oh, and now it's a cool concept. And now it is 15 years later. And the DM has said like, we have to finish the game. Oh, Yes, I love Jumanji plots. Yeah, and they <laughs> are right back into this. So it is, it is, it is them as adults dealing with this incredibly traumatic thing that happened to them as teenagers. I really want to jump into um, where I started reading Thor comics. Yes. Okay, which is Jason Aaron. Okay, God Butcher is where I started. Um, because I, I loved I loved Thor movies. I had heard of old comics. I kind of knew who Walt Simonson was, but then this guy named Jason Aaron started drawing, uh, started started uh, you know 
creating these masterpieces on a monthly basis. And, um, you know, I, I understand, you know, as a, as a, uh, like I've said, like I said earlier, an amateur uh, specialist with Thor, um, I still have much to learn, but I love Jason Aaron. Uh, like you don't it, need to apologize for that. You, you get, to, you get to like what you like. <laughs> so that's Thank you for reminding me of that. Cause the, the first two chapters of all of the marbles don't even deal with breaking down, you know, breaking down specific characters. It's just like permission to like the things you like the way you like it. And I was like, mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to care about, you know, certain aspects of, yeah. you know, of the history, but Jason Aaron is where I started reading it. I just kind of wanted to, your impressions of Jason Aaron's, in, in my opinion, the revival of Thor. He's really, really put his stamp on it. And the entire plot thread with Jane is just so clever and so interesting and so original um, that like, there have been so many, like, what if Spider-Man were not Peter Parker? What if Iron Man were not Tony Stark, blah, blah, blah. Like, what if Thor were not Thor? That is not a thing that, had really been dealt with much before and he came up with a fantastically interesting angle on it worked with some terrific artists oh, um yes the uh and zeroing in on the idea of worthiness as like the the uh the key thing about this character yes. i mean it's it's a really it's a real clever move um i i love the look of it 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 was not a thing that I had been following along with much until I got into reading, uh, researching for the book. And then when they started researching the book, it was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is real solid. This is real pretty. This is doing stuff in, uh, in the vein of the high fantasy things that he's grown up on. And yeah. it's real different for Jason Aaron too, from things he'd done before. Like right. Wolverine and the X-Men are like very, very like ground level, like, you know men of war or whatever his title was uh but like that it was clearly something that he was just passionately passionately into um i wish that war of the realms had felt more consequential or conclusive or something other than like yeah okay so there's a whole bunch of ice people and now we have to fight them um <laughs> right <laughs> It, it, it does elevate it does elevate Malekith to a, a a threat for everybody for like a little bit but other than that I mean it's um it's his uh it's his large-scale swan song kind of out of the character the big thing about Jason Aaron's run I think that will be remembered um if you have a passing knowledge of his run is Jane Foster as Thor there's another chapter in your book that I I wanted to kind of connect points mm -hmm. here with you write a fantastic, just a fantastic chapter about Kamala Khan and the unbeatable squirrel girl. It was, yeah. I, I didn't even see that chapter coming. Like I just, I was reading along and he's, and, and you just start introing these two characters. Like he's going to talk about squirrel girl and Miss Marvel the entire chapter. And I'm going to love every second of it. Huh. Taking like uh, female characters and putting them in a, in an obvious spotlight. Like they're not sidekicks. They're not just a love interest. When Jason Aaron does this treatment to Jane, I mean, obviously we still have Odinson off, you know, as unworthy Thor, but Jane Foster as Thor. I, I just kind of tell me what you just gleaned from that character. She is somebody who had always been she she had been a supporting character, 
And then she'd just been off stage. She had been like somebody that we check in with every once in a while when we want to be like, hey, remember Jane? You know, from the early 60s? Yeah, that Jane. <laughs> Old flame. Yeah, she's, still, she's still around. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we, we remember that stuff. Good. Uh, and putting her, like putting somebody who is a person first and foremost in that spot and giving her and giving her a role where like she is actually sacrificing herself every time she does something heroic like genius move yeah it could not go on forever it did not go on forever uh but like it got to play out at the length that it deserved to play out and yeah. uh make a few people real angry which was nice uh <laughs> Which is just so crazy because yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a fictional character. Like, yeah, do whatever you want with it. But I mean, and now she's going to be, you know, immortalized uh, on film, um, which is okay. exciting. Um, and uh, I know this kind of exceeds maybe the extent of uh, of what the book covers. But are you familiar with at all Donny Cates' run on on Thor going on? I've got right Donny Cates' run sitting here, and I haven't read it yet. I need to read oh, it. Again. I, oh I know it's I know it's awesome. I know I've, I know it's coming to me. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious. I will get to it at some point. It is literally 10 feet for me when well, whenever you talk about it or whenever you're ready to uh, uh, read it and die in a yeah. digest and everything, yeah. I do the first six issues grab you and don't let you go. Uh, so that's th awesome. But as I kind of land the plane here on this this Thor breakdown, this massive you know epic history of his, um, I want to focus in on Loki because you talk a lot about Loki at the end of your chapter, and more specifically, Al Ewing's interpretation of Loki. Um, in my opinion, Simonson is to Thor, Al Ewing is to Loki. Um, uh, probably a fairly popular opinion but like when when you read al ewing's approach to loki um how did that just shift the character for you i mean it, it was gillen into ewing for me okay uh, like the gillen, gillen journey into mystery was the thing that really really grabbed me okay uh, because like, i just remember like like picking up because I'd seen a couple of things by him before that i really liked and i picked up his first journey into mystery i was like wow this is really different <laughs> this is um like this is a whole different narrative approach to mainstream comics than we've almost ever seen right around now it is very very wordy it is very heady it is hyper compressed there is in that first story like okay and there's 15 other stories that we're not going to talk about right now but we're just going to go on with this um, <laughs> moving on <laughs> and, and you know, it is also like Kieran Gillen as a British writer of a certain age dealing with the specter of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Oh, okay. It is, it, no, it, like it is totally, totally a tribute to Neil Gaiman's Sandman to the point where when Nightmare first shows up, as opposed to Dream in Sandman, the first thing he says is, he's ripping me off. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. That's yeah. So no, there's 
So there is a ton of like the, the magpies versus the raven from Sandman. Like there's there is a lot of stuff there. There is a very similar kind of narrative style, and there is that being shifted off. And it's also the thing that the Loki TV show gets into a little bit to the point where when I saw like the first preview of the Loki show, it's like, oh, it's going to deal, deal with the Gillen set, which it did not. Uh, but can he change? Yes. Is he capable of changing? Like he can disguise himself, but is there a core to the character that he can move past? Can he be allowed to? Will we let him do that? No, we won't. We won't. That is his tragedy. Uh, <laughs> And that moves into the Loki storyline in the Gillen McKelvey Young Avengers, which is fantastic. And I think I had written a, bit, a bunch about that and I had to cut it because it was just like, ended up being too much plot summary. But <laughs> Loki plays a big, big role in Young Avengers that all hinges on what happens to him at the end of that journey into mystery story that the Loki we think we're looking at is not the one that we are looking at. And that comes back to bite everybody. And so when L. Ewing comes in for the short, but absolutely wonderful 17 issue story, yeah. uh, it's, it is a story whose premise is itself a lie, which is great. Um, and so, the idea is that like it's Loki, agent of Asgard, and he's going to be working for the All Mothers, and he's going to be a secret agent like Nick Fury, but working in you know the the sort of you know realms of mythology and whatever else. And that lasts like half of one storyline. Yeah, <laughs> and then he goes back and connects it to the Simonson stuff in a completely unexpected way by going for, like introducing Verity Willis. Yeah, yeah, who's like right back to the Simonson thing, but from a totally new direction and by the end that series gets completely into the realm of abstraction and metafiction and it's great because it is so charming and so funny and so completely committed to going where it's going and going where it's going by way of like three consecutive tie-ins with massive crossover events yeah like those are the massive crossover events that push it where it was always supposed to go in the first place I, so I, you saying that like I, I need to go back and read more Kieran Gillen, uh, Thor related titles. I, that's a kind of a, a, admittedly, it's a blind spot for me. Um, but uh, the uh, the end of the Loki series where he's sitting on the stack of the stack of comics is one of my favorite. Uh, it's one of my favorite covers because it's just it's so meta, yeah. uh, and it's uh, it's just so. Um, it's just awesome. It's fantastic. Um, when, uh, if, if it's possible, um, how would you, how would you describe Thor's history? Um, is, is there like a key concept that comes to mind or a key theme that, you know, after, you know, I, I aim to someday do what you have done with the character. I know that you, <laughs> you for, for, for means of health and sanity, you do not advise that someone does what you do. No, no. I just want to do it with one character. Right. Um, when I get to the end, like what might I learn when I get to the end? Um, so I, I don't think there is a single specific thing. Okay. What you will see is how the idea of the character changes and keeps changing. And I, you know, I think it's going to be clear, like, 10 years from now, when we look at Thor comics from 2021, we're going to go, oh my God, that is so 2021. 
those poor people oh those poor people <laughs> fantastic uh that's that's what we see like these these are characters who in some ways don't get to change and yet they change all the time with the time around them have you have you been reading like the eternal series that's going on right now i have not actually yeah. no I, i'm pretty uh, locked in with uh with thor okay with yeah. Thor titles <laughs> um so the Eternals have occasionally been connected to Thor stuff a little bit in like you know, the 80s and so forth. But Roy Thomas uh, stuff. Roy Thomas stuff, yeah. Um, Mark Grunewald, whatever. But the idea of the new Eternals series is that the Eternals cannot change. They are hey. absolutely constant. They are the same always. And there's some built-in problems with that. Okay. Them. Uh, and that's a Karen Gillan series. It is. And and uh, Asad Ribic, who drew oh. the who drew the God Butcher storyline. So I do like Asad Ribic. Um well man, okay, I gotta man, I have so many things to add to my reading list right now. Uh, so uh Douglas, is there anything else? Um man, uh, I would just love to give you a few moments here to you know tell people where to find you, support you, um, to buy your book. Okay. Um, so all of the Marvels, a journey to the ends of the biggest story ever told, and I'll tell you the story of that subtitle at some point if you want to hear it, uh, is available wherever books are sold. It came out uh, from Penguin Random House uh, back in mid-October. Uh, yeah, uh, there's the, also the audiobook version, which I read. There is also, I am accessible uh, at douglaswolk.com, uh, twitter.com slash douglaswolk. I also have a Patreon, which is also my name, uh, which is a secret book club for marvel nerds where we just like discuss one issue from Unlimited it's awesome, every day guys. you should join it <laughs> trying trying uh and uh gosh what else do i do um i think i think oh yeah i also have a podcast of my own uh the voice yes, of like the voice of like which is nominally a cold war era shortwave propaganda broadcast from the uh fictional <laughs> eastern european state that uh dr doom runs it is more actually a uh conversation with somebody every week about one of Dr. Doom's comics appearances, not in publication order or even continuity order, but the order that Dr. Doom himself experienced them, which is different from continuity order because Doom has a time machine. Um, and uh, more even than that, oh it's really me talking with my guest every week about whatever the heck they feel like talking about. Yeah. Like one of my absolute favorites so far is, uh, well, th there was one where my guest was Alex Ross, but not the artist Alex Ross, the classical music historian Alex Ross. Okay. Um, so uh, it's basically him talking about like the role of uh, Wagner's music in Nazi Germany for 45 minutes. And it's amazing. <laughs> uh, so I, I, when I was done with all the marvels, I literally, uh, you know, went, I was like, okay, more, I just went to, you know, uh, my iTunes account. And I went, okay, more Douglas Wolf. Uh, Wolf <laughs> Um, and then Voice of Latveria came up, and I was like, oh, my gosh. This guy's talking about Doom. Uh, and then I got into a few episodes, and I was like, okay, it, yes, you're talking about Dr. Doom, but, like, you're talking about everything else. And I came across that episode. I was like, he got to talk to Alex Ross? And then uh -huh. I started, and yeah. I was like, aha, I, um, I, see, what I, I see what I did there. <laughs> but Yeah, I think my, my favorite recent one is uh, I talked with Margaret Pride, who was uh, in the U.S. Foreign Service for about 30 years. Uh, because she could specifically speak to the question of what exactly can Dr. Doom get away with on the grounds of diplomatic immunity? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And we, we uh, found out like what the worst crime is that you can skate from on the grounds of diplomatic immunity. 
It's shoplifting. How so? They can what? usually paper it over if it's shoplifting. You know, you know, they they might... when this episode comes out, I will I will link that episode of Voice of Latveria in and people can listen to the discussion Great. for themselves. Yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 I love listening to the little bit that I've I've done of that one as well. But Douglas, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. Thank you very much for your for your time tonight. I, I appreciate you kind of being our tour guide through the the history of of Thor and his world. I I enjoyed this conversation immensely, sir. Thank you so much. Me too. Well, that was my conversation with Douglas Wolk. I hope you enjoyed it. He is a treasure trove of information and factoids and observations because, like he said, he read all the Marvels. He, If you can think of a Marvel, he read it. And he brought a lot to my understanding of Thor. So this conversation was, I hope, enjoyable for you. And it was enjoyable for me to sit back and listen to this man regale about just so many different aspects of a history of a character who's been around for 60 some odd years. So it was a good conversation. I do hope you enjoyed it. And this week we're going to do our second installment of a new segment I'm doing on the show. Like I said last time, we don't really do segments, uh, but I wanted to add a segment because I want you guys to know what's going on in my world and what I am enjoying outside of my love of Thor comics. So this is the second installment in a new segment I am calling Ryan Recommends. So this episode, what I recommend you go enjoy, take part in, uh, consume as content, I suggest you go and watch the show Shit's Creek. Now, I know that the show is done and it's concluded and you may have already seen it. I will say this. I had seen portions of the show before. I really enjoyed it. Dan Levy brings me so much joy in whatever projects he is working on. And my wife had not seen Schitt's Creek yet. So we started watching it the other night where you just had gotten done watching something else, and we're like, what should we try and get into next? And she said, I think I want to watch Shit's Creek. So we did. I had zero issues with that because that show is hilarious, and it is odd, it is funny, and the actors are top-notch. And like I said, the aforementioned Dan Levy is in the show, and he is spectacular. So if you have not seen Shit's Creek yet... Go and watch it. It's on Netflix. You'll enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. And that is what Ryan recommends this week on Across the Bifrost. We do hope you enjoyed this episode with Douglas Wolk. We are going to shut this conversation down for the time being. And in the in-between time, between the next time you come to the Bifrost and you jump aboard and take a Thor-related adventure with us, we suggest you go buy the book, All of the Marvels. Go online, go to your nearest bookseller, find your favorite bookseller, give them your business, and buy a great book, All of the Marvels, by Douglas Wolk, and that would just be an awesome thing for you to do. 
you should also go check out his podcast, Voice of Latveria. He is a massive fan of the Fantastic Four villain, Dr. Doom. So every week he, well, every episode, every episode of that show, he talks about uh, Dr. Doom. And really, it's just an avenue for him to talk to people he enjoys about other things they enjoy. So go and check out that podcast. Go and check out his book. You can also just search Douglas Wolk and you can listen to other interviews that he's done. I know there's a few podcasts that I enjoy that he has been on lately. And those interviews have just been a lot of fun to listen to. So go and search all the Douglas Wolk stuff and support him. He has done a great feat. And we can't wait to see what he comes up with next. So go do that. And while you're doing that, you can go support Across the Bifrost wherever you find great podcasts or on our social media at uh, the Mighty Thor Podcast. Man, I almost forgot the name of my own Instagram handle. How dare I? <laughs> but you can also go to Facebook and join our public group. We just ask that you be kind and don't be a jerk to other people. Yeah, that's just a general good rule of life. You know what? Ryan also recommends you don't be a jerk to someone today. If you're thinking of being a jerk to someone, I recommend you do the opposite. Be kind. Say something encouraging. Do something that they don't expect. Give them a high five, a fist bump, something along those lines rather than being a grump. This is the holiday season, so being a grump, generally discouraged. In case you have forgotten since last episode, last time we spoke, this next episode, you're going to listen to our next episode that comes out in a few days. We are going to announce some cool things for the show. I'm going to unveil kind of the next next chapter in the show's progression. It's exciting. You're going to want to... Uh, be on board for that. And uh, so we just encourage you to check out the next episode and I will give you more details about this exciting next chapter, this next venture that we have going for the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to enjoy it. I, you're, you're not going to want to miss it. I guarantee it. But until then, until we see you next time aboard this, the Bifrost, the Rainbow Bridge, I encourage you, dear listener, friend of the podcast, valued compatriot aboard the Bifrost. Stay worthy.